I think it was Rudyard Kipling who said, I have six faithful serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and how and when and where and why and who. Six words that introduce a question. And so by questions that Rudyard Kipling or whoever it was, uh, apologies to whoever it is if I'm wrong there, but uh, uh, to whoever uh, coined that uh, little poem, Six Faithful Serving Men. And if you don't know the answer to something, you ask, you ask the question. And uh, that's what happened to me last Sunday night, um, uh, following the course of um, <laughs> uh, the Meekler's message when we were in First uh, Daniel chapter 30, where uh, David, King David, well, he, he was um, uh, anointed to be king, but Saul was still king at this time, but David just had 600 men, and uh, they um, uh, went after the Amalekites who had burned the city of Ziklag and stolen the women folk from there, and uh, David went after them with his 600, although only 400 were able to uh, finally get there. But um, uh, before David ventured forth, he called for a bias as a priest to bring the ephod and, uh, and to inquire of the Lord whether or not uh, his effort was going to be futile or successful. And so the question put to me by Bureau was, what is an ephod? And I knew that uh, Samuel, just as a little lad, uh, had an ephod, a linen ephod, no doubt made by his mother. We read that his mother made a little coat for him at every year, but uh, he also had a linen ephod. But um, this would not be the type of thing that uh, David was calling for on the part of the priest. An ephod is in uh, two sections, and uh, it's uh, front and back, covering the chest down to the waist, and, uh, and so uh, uh, two straps to hold the pieces together. Uh, actually, we might even go there. In, in chapter 28 of Exodus, we have the instructions given to Moses uh, about the garments of the high priest, which includes the ephod. And then in chapter 39, uh, the, um, the making of the ephod. So we're at um, chapter 39, uh, this is um, Moses now in obedience making the ephod, which is a special ephod made for the use of the high priest or part of the high priest's magnificent uh, garments that they wore. Um, chapter 39 of Exodus from verse 1 of the blue, purple and scarlet thread they made garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. Uh, Aaron was the high priest. Uh, it seems also that the ordinary priests also had a similar ephod, but uh, the high priest had a, uh, had a special one. Verse 2, he made the ephod of blue, uh, sorry, gold, blue and purple and scarlet thread. Going back to chapter 28, uh, the gold was uh, beaten gold. It wasn't just gold coloured, but it was beaten gold 
uh, big and small into threads and intertwined with it. And uh, these colors here are very, very significant. This goes beyond what um, Euler was asking, but uh, uh, just to go through it now. Uh, the blue speaks of our Lord's heavenly character. And the purple speaks of royalty. The scarlet speaks of suffering. And the gold speaks of deity. So you see how these colors are just so very, very significant. He made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and a fine woven linen. The fine linen speaks of purity, sinlessness. And, and they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads to work it in with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen into artistic designs. They made shoulder straps for it uh, to couple it together, and it was coupled together at its two edges and the intricately woven band of his ephod that uh, was on it was of the same workmanship, woven of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And they set onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold. They were engraved, as signets are engraved, with the names of the sons of Israel. He put them on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord had commanded Moses. You know, the Old Testament truly is full of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the road to Emmaus, we read that um, uh, when he spoke to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he said, I will slow apart to believe all that the prophets have said, and then he went on to order the narrative goes on to say, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And that would have included the garments of the high priest. So that is the ephod then that David would have been calling for. Abiathar was the priest and David wanted to inquire of the Lord. Uh, those two onyx stones uh, on those stones were engraved the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, six tribes on each stone. And uh, on his breastplate there were 12 stones and each stone uh, was engraved with one of the names of the 12 tribes. So that when the priest went into the temple to um, uh, offer sacrifices, will offer sacrifices from the altar of burnt offering outside, but to intercede for the people in the holy place, and then when the, when the high priest went into the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement, he was carrying with him the names of all of the Lord's people, the names of those of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you see it has this uh, priestly function, uh, this garment of the uh, high priest that David was calling for. So I hope that is... Uh, Explanatory enough. <laughs> you thought I'd forgotten to bring the answer, hadn't <laughs> Okay, but uh, let me say again uh, if something does um, raise curiosity, raise a question, well, um, it's dumb not to ask the question. As someone has said, there's only one dumb question, that's the one you don't ask. Yeah. So, so, um, uh, by all means, uh, ask a question if uh, something uh, needs to be clarified. All right.
Leon, uh, just having a look at uh, more questions tonight. Uh, what we've done sometimes in the past is to speak about the Apostle Peter, uh, the one who was always speaking first and thinking later, you know, he, uh, he just couldn't stand the silence and then his silence had to be filled with uh, talk and sometimes he spoke uh, good stuff but other times uh, it was um, uh, not very clever at all. Uh, for example, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when there appeared with the Lord Jesus, Moses and Elijah, and uh, uh, Peter and the other disciples being wakened out of sleep, and Peter just said, the first thing comes into his head, Oh, Master, it's good to be here. Let's build three tents. What for you? One for Moses, one for Elijah. And the uh, scripture goes on to say, not knowing what he said. He didn't know what he was talking about. He'd just been, he'd just been awakened out of his sleep, and, uh, and he just had to say something. There was nothing going on on top of the Mount of Transfiguration. All the action was down in the valley below. That's where suffering humanity was. That's where the Lord's ministry was. But uh, he was magnificently transfigured before those three disciples on the mountain. All right, well, let's have a look at um, some more questions that Peter asked. And we may not even get through the first one tonight. But um, if that is so, that, that is how it is. Um, and looking at uh, Matthew chapter 18, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. Ten thousand talents. He's got no hope whatever 
of ever being able to repay the debt. This is a parable. And, uh, and when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. But, uh, but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. So paid in full. He's been uh, cleared of ever having to make any sort of a payment, part payment, full payment, anything at all from that debt. He's been set free from it. But let's read on. Verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which should be an insignificant amount when compared with this other debt that he's just been cleared of. This is only 100 denarii, um, a much lesser amount. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And so uh, this then is a, a teaching from the Lord concerning forgiveness. 70 times 7, 490, no, go beyond that, it is indefinite. If they come and, uh, and uh, repent, then it is up to us uh, to, to be uh, forgiven. Well, um, the process of forgiving an erring brother would be like this. You immediately forgive that person in your heart so that you are not saddled with uh, an unforgiving spirit, uh, a feeling of animosity towards anyone. Uh, you know, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and we must maintain a Christ-likeness uh, in our character which should uh, develop and uh, become more Christ-like as we go on. And, uh, and, and so we, we immediately forget to give that person in our heart but we don't tell him he's forgiven. Uh, we then uh, proceed to him to uh, rebuke him and hopefully he would apologize and then you can tell him he is uh, forgiven. In other words, uh, 
in another sense, forgiveness is it is conditional. And just to slip over to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 17. Chapter 17, uh, reading from verse 1, Then he, the Lord Jesus, said to, the, said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offences should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck as he were thrown into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, coming down a little further, um, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you, having a servant ploughing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once, sit down to eat? But he will not. Uh, I think I've missed it there, but, uh, but to, re to rebuke him in love, expecting that when he apologises, um, you will be able to, to do that which he asks, and that is to give repentance. But uh, it, it is so easy to do the other. And if we fail to uh, heed the uh, instruction of the Lord with regard to forgiving somebody who has wronged us, then we are grieving the Holy Spirit. You know, this morning in this morning's uh, message, we had a wonderful insight into something of the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian and how uh, we have this blessed union with uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit uh, as brought out in uh, chapters 14, 15 and 16 of John's Gospel. Well then, uh, if we do not heed what the Bible tells, then we do sin against the Holy Spirit. This one who has indwelled us, he has sealed us with that Holy Spirit of promise. He is the one who is the the guarantee of our inheritance as we read in Ephesians chapter 1 sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise and uh, but then to uh, sin against him uh, several ways that a person can sin uh, just to go to Ephesians chapter 4 uh, just the closing verses there uh, verse 29 all the uh, possibility of sinning in this way against the Holy Spirit comes out in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So here Paul is bringing out how we can be guilty of this sin of grieving the Holy Spirit. Verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good or necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. 
or uh, the authorized version says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Corrupt has to do with putrefying and that which is totally offensive, uh, like uh, rotten fruit or putrefying meat. Uh, and, and sometimes the language that comes out of people's mouths is, uh, is likened to that. Well, this should never be true of a person, a child of God. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And then it goes on to say, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you were sealed unto the day of redemption. So we were sealed with the Holy Spirit, and if we were to offend in this way, we would then uh, be grieving him, and this is what we are exhorted not to do. But uh, what does this have to do with what went before? Read on, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. This is stating it negatively. All bitterness, all wrath, all anger, clamour, evil speaking, let it be put away from you, and putting it now positively, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That parable that the Lord Jesus told of, of uh, one man who owed an indescribable debt to another and was forgiven, He's just like you and me. We have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus a debt that we could never hope to repay. We've been cleansed from sin. We are sinful, God is holy, and yet we have been forgiven if we've come to the Lord Jesus Christ in God's way. So we are the ones who have been forgiven a very great debt, just like that man in the parable. And if someone else wrongs us, well, it may break fellowship for a time, but there must be forgiveness. As I say, firstly, forgive that person in your heart so that you do not bear a grudge. It will spoil your own testimony, but it is far better to have a right attitude towards others, even if you have been terribly wronged by a fellow Christian. Go to that person, rebuke that person, and if he apologises, it is so wonderful, fellowship is restored once again. How often we fail to do that, or we fail to not do it immediately, and, and bitterness does prevail long after it should. So be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So if we were to hold a grudge against somebody else, then we are, we are pictured by that uh, second man who owed a rather insignificant amount and yet was not forgiven, even though we ourselves have been forgiven on the fast, fast path. And so this, uh, this teaching of the Lord came out of 
Uh, Peter's question to the Savior when he said, Lord, how often must I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Seventy times seven, meaning indefinitely. Well, let's have a look at another question now that um, Peter asked. And for this one, we'll go to John chapter 13. Actually, Peter didn't uh, put voice to this, but he signaled John to do it on his behalf. John chapter 13, and uh, here we have the, at the time of the institution of the Lord's uh, Supper. So the, the Lord is there with his 12 disciples, and uh, verse uh, 21, John chapter 13, verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. You know, can we get the picture of what's going on here? The Lord Jesus, uh, he is saying, one of you is going to betray me. These are the 12 disciples who have been with him during those three and a half years as he uh, preached, as he healed, they heard his words, they saw his deeds, and it was established beyond any doubt at all that he was the Messiah, he was the Christ, he was God's anointed one, the one who had been uh, promised from eternity, part of not from eternity. Well, he is. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, but promised in the Garden of Eden when uh, God said to uh, to uh, uh, Satan, uh, uh, "You will bruise his heel. The seed of the woman will bruise your head." And so there is the promise immediately of the coming uh, Redeemer. But um, but now we have one of these twelve, and the Lord said, one of you will betray me. Now they had no idea. As you go through the other gospel accounts of this, you see the disciples are saying, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And another one asked the same question. Is it? And nobody suspected anybody else. And then just to read on here, we see... Um, the disciples looked at one another, this is verse 22, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. So Peter's making just, uh, you know, asking who it is. And so, so John asked the question, but it was Peter who who was the instigator of it and uh, and so the Lord Jesus answered it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it having dipped the bread he gave it to Judas Iscariot the son of Simon uh, this is not Simon Peter of course this is uh, his father you know Simon was just a fairly uh, common name then uh, one of Jesus' half-brothers was named Simon also uh, also could be Simeon. Uh, verse 27, Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. And so uh, Judas Iscariot is then identified. 
Jesus said, do what you do, do quickly. And the disciples still did not tweet. They still did not realise that that was the one that the Lord was saying was going to, to um, betray him. You know, there must have been absolutely nothing in the character of Judas Iscariot to even give a whisper that he was, you know, a bit of a shady character and uh, someone to be careful uh, about. When he left, well, we'll see what they thought when he left, but no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, he was the treasurer of that little group, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, that is the feast of Passover, or that he should give something to the poor. So you, you see, uh, he, put on, he must have put on a really good act of being a top fellow. Um, I, I don't know whether they might have thought, I'm not too sure about Simon the Zealot here, he could do it, or Matthew the tax collector, you know, he'd been working for the Romans, or, or you know, suspecting someone else, but evidently they didn't for one second think that this is what Judas was going to do. So, um, uh, you know, we can put on a pretty good act at times. So, um, verse 30. Having received the piece of bread, he, Judas Iscariot, then went out immediately, full stop, and then comes a four-word sentence. And it was night. It was night in the heart and the soul of Judas Iscariot. It was night for all around there at the time because this is when the forces of Satan are gathering to have the Lord Jesus destroyed, to have him betrayed, arrested, brought to a kangaroo court to be tried by the Sanhedrin with all sorts of irregularities going on and found to be guilty and then for them to be able to legally insist on his crucifixion. And so, uh, so, so it was night, it was night in the hearts of so many people uh, that night in which our Lord Jesus was betrayed. How tragically that it was night also, eternal night in the heart of one of his disciples who had been with him during those years. Uh, the time has come, so, so we will uh, call it off now, but uh, Peter did ask uh, many questions, of course. Uh, he seemed to be the spokesman, although when you come into chapters um, 14 and 15, all of the, uh, the other disciples are also asking questions by that time. But um, uh, Peter was the main spokesman, and so I picked out some uh, here, one from Mark's Gospel, one from Luke's Gospel, but um, we'll just leave it there for tonight. Uh, but once again, any questions, and ask. <laughs> and uh, well, certainly if I don't know the answer straight away, I shall endeavour to go and uh, find it. All right then, well let's ask the Lord's question as we separate. <laughs> Our loving Father, we come before your presence once again. We thank you for the wonderful hymns that we've been able to sing tonight. And we give you thanks that those hymns that point to our Lord Jesus Christ 
uh, fill our hearts with love and praise for him. We thank you too, Father, for the message we heard this morning concerning the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers and how he uh, also, we read from Scripture, how he testifies to ourselves that we truly are children of God. And so, Father, we give you thanks. We, we pray now that as we separate, that we go to our homes in safety, keep us throughout these evening hours and the hours that uh, lie before us, the days and the weeks that lie before us, uh, if that would be so. But, Father, in all things, keep us close to the cross. We pray that we may ever walk a walk which is glorifying to the Lord. And so part us now with your blessing, we ask, as we return our thanks in his worthy and precious name. Amen. Amen.